Man, what a, what a night already. What, a, what an amazing night. That we can like, yeah, like we could come into this room and drop me down a little bit more, please. Um, that we could come into this room and like worship with one another. Put me up just a little bit now. You dropped me too much. All right. I tried to do this before DSM, but that's okay. Um, tonight. Everybody say tonight. I need you to do that for me because I need to get my thoughts centered now. Having a microphone that doesn't work just kind of throws me off. I'm like, okay, all right, here we are. Lord, have your way. Come Holy Spirit. We are finishing a series tonight. If you don't know who I am, I'm Pastor David Martin. There you go. So if you didn't know, we are actually finishing a series tonight called Jesus Said... Okay, there we go. I can't see you all because there's so much smoke in the room. But I'm going to trust that you're out there. But Jesus said, what? And if you haven't been with us, we've been kind of been focused on these words of Jesus. And Jesus like sat down on the side of this mountain one day. And it was very typical of rabbis to do this. Rabbi means teacher. Disciple means student. Okay. And so it was very typical for rabbis to like sit down and say, hey, I, I feel inspired today. I think I want to tell you some stuff. And so the disciples hung on every single word that the rabbi would say because they knew it was going to be like this golden, awesome, nuggets of awesomeness, okay. And so they were just sitting there. And so Jesus, being a rabbi, sat down and these disciples sitting in front of him, he started talking. And what he begins to do is he begins to drop these bombs and, and it's like these proverb-like truths. And basically what Jesus is doing here and what you're going to see here in a minute He's like contrasting the harsh realities of this world, okay. And he's doing that, but he's allowing the harsh realities of this world to actually collide with the kingdom truths of God. And so there's these weird, like, terrible, awesome, terrible, awesome, terrible, awesome kind of statements that Jesus is making. And in this moment, the disciples' minds are blown. And from this moment on, these words that Jesus shared on the side of this mountain this one day has left generations for thousands and thousands of years leaning over to their friends going, Jesus said, what? There we go. All right, all right. We're catching up. We're catching up. Can I pray one more time? I really, I need to pray one more time because this sermon is unlike any other sermon I've ever preached in my life. And I need Jesus. I need him to preach it. So Father... Lord, you have heard our cries to come. Come Holy Spirit. Dry bows awaken. I believe you're in this place. Because where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are. You inhabit the praises of your people. So you're here. You've inhabited our words. You've inhabited our hearts. And your word is living and active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And is able to separate joint and marrow and divide the thoughts. Your word is breathing. And so you're in this place because you are the word, Jesus. And I'm going to share your word. But Lord, like I prayed last night, I have no power. To do what only you can do. And so I am fully relying on your Holy Spirit to be welcomed. To have prominence, preeminence, authority over every single student and adult and myself in this room. 
Father, what I'm asking is that those who walked in poor tonight would leave rich. What I'm asking for every single student in this room, Lord Jesus, is that the convicting power of the Holy Spirit would be heavier than it's ever felt in their lives so that they may walk in liberation and freedom and not just sing about it, but know it and experience it. And so it's for your son's sake and in his name, Lord, bring an awakening by your Holy Spirit to every heart in this room. And Father, in the name of Jesus, let your holiness be so tangibly known that our only response tonight is help. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus, he's on the side of this mountain talking to his disciples. He begins to open up these truths called the Beatitudes. And if you listen to Todd White, I, I like him a lot. He's a preacher. If not, you need to check him out. He's this wild John the Baptist looking guy with dreadlocks and speaks crazy truth. And if you think I have long sermons, you need to listen to this guy. Uh, he's all over the place. But he says these are really called the attitudes of being. We call them the Beatitudes, that sounds weird, but if you turn it around and you understand these, Jesus is saying these are the attitudes of being, but being what? Being followers of Christ. And so for Christians, we should kind of see these, each and every one of these little Beatitudes, and it's been so cool to kind of revisit them, because I've kind of forgotten about them for a while. I'm being honest with you, I don't jam out to the Beatitudes every day, and so it's nice to pull them back into my repertoire. And I've seen them, and this is the way they were described, like little jewels that you string on a necklace and you wear them. And it becomes like this, this, this ornament around your neck of, of honor and the way that Christians should really be living. Some of you don't like Christians, and I don't blame you. I probably wouldn't like the ones you don't like. Because they don't represent what Jesus is talking about when it comes to the attitudes of being. But Jesus covers a lot during this chapter. And so I'm just going to kind of open up the last one that we want to look at this month. And it's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, where Jesus is saying to his followers this. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Man, what a, like right off the bat, how many of y'all go, oh, that's good. I like that. I like that idea. When I'm sad, I get to be comforted. Two people, no one else needs comfort in the world. All right. What we see when we look at this verse face value, here's what happens. A lot of us can accidentally misinterpret, like I did, what Jesus is saying here. The reality is this. I'm about to blow some of y'all's minds. But most people, Christians included, we use this verse to comfort people who are mourning a loss, like when someone dies. When you think about mourning, right, we think about someone dying, and it's a bummer. And so we take this verse and we say, man, I'm so sorry you're going through this tough time. You know, God blesses those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And they go, oh, man, thank you. I hope that's true for me. And you may think that that's the case about this verse as well. I thought that up until a couple of days ago as I began to study the actual words of what Jesus was saying. And I began to unlock this verse. And this is so classic Jesus. He speaks up here, but then you drill down into what he says. And there's like no end to the depth of what he says. And it's like his, he's so powerful in the way that he crafts statements that you can spend the rest of your life studying the words of Jesus. And continue to find new things that he's saying within a statement. This is one of them. You see... I thought, I got to open up the Bible and I got to like get into like on the internet and I need to go to a Greek dictionary and I need to find out how is Jesus using this word mourn. And I'll get to that in a second. But if you start at the very beginning where he says God blesses those who mourn or blessed are you who mourn, 
blessed are you who mourn. So I started there and I'm like, okay, God blesses those. The literal Greek translation says, how happy you are. Blessed are those. He's saying, you should be so stinking happy. Another version of how that could be used is you are to be envied. When people look at you, they should be jealous. Does this sound weird? You should be, people should be jealous of you. They should be like, whoa, man, I wish I was in your position. How happy are you when you mourn? Jesus said, what? Now, when I, when I leave it open for you to answer, I need you to answer, all right? Don't leave me hanging. Jesus said, yeah, 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 right? Because happy, oh, everybody should be so jealous. They're like, oh, you're so lucky, you're mourning. I'm not mocking the scripture, but that's, what, that's the point he's trying to make here. I got to be honest with you, when I'm looking at this passage, I've never been jealous of someone who's mourning the loss of a loved one. I've never gone, dang, man, I wish it could be them. Right? It sounds so weird. If anything, we're thankful that we're not in a position like that. So while most of us would never say this out loud, deep inside, seeing that Jesus says you should be happy because you're mourning, we look at this and go, Jesus is saying what? And I'm sure we think, man, I mean, don't get me wrong, we, Jesus loves to comfort those who are in bad situations. Please don't mishear me. But, man, I appreciate that he comforted me. But, dude, when it comes to being happy because I'm sad... I don't understand that. So let me ask you this. What would you say if I told you that Jesus wasn't really saying that you're blessed when you have a friend or loved one die? How many would be like, okay, you got my attention, right? I don't think Jesus' point is to try to say this because there's this time, and I'll start thinking about this. There's this time when one of Jesus' really good friends named Lazarus has died. Okay, and he's dead, and this news reaches Jesus. Jesus hears the news that his friend Lazarus dies. And so four days after getting this news, Jesus shows up onto the scene of his friend who has died. And guess what Jesus does? When he shows up, he begins to mourn. He begins to mourn because his friend is dead. And he sees the pain that is taking place in this situation. And I think that we have this tendency, students, that we have this tendency to forget that Jesus was, yes, fully God, but he was also fully human, just like we are. So Jesus, obviously, he has a heart. He has emotions. He felt the pain of rejection. He felt the pain of being excluded. Some of you know that pain in your life tonight. He felt the pain of gossip and lies. He also felt the pain of loss, just like we do. And it says in Matthew, Jesus shows up to the scene and he finds his friend Lazarus dead. And check it out. It says this. It says, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. Now, Mary is clearly mourning. Right? She's like so sad. Her heart is broken. And in this moment, I'm thinking, man, if there was ever a time that Jesus is going to bust out, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Wouldn't you think it's right here? But we don't see anywhere in the story Jesus saying that to Mary. Is he holding back the good stuff? Or are we misunderstanding that verse? You see, he doesn't say, Mary, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Nowhere does he go, Mary, no, 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 chill out. Congratulations. You are to be envied. You should be so happy that Lazarus is dead. Don't get me wrong, man. I'm sure Jesus' presence brought her a ton of comfort. But Jesus... He's not asking her to stop mourning in this moment. He's not saying stop grieving. 
Just sweep your emotions under the rug, Mary, and, and act blessed and act happy. Put on a mask. I know you're sad. I know you've lost your friend, Lazarus. But here's the thing. I, I, no, 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 you need to look happy because Christians are supposed to look happy. He doesn't say that. You know what he says? Believe it or not, you have to understand really quickly before I tell you what he says. The ability to grieve actually is a gift from God. Did you know that? The ability to grieve and mourn something, God has given us this capacity to be able to grieve, to be able to mourn. It's a sign of emotional health if you are able to grieve and mourn a loss. God gives us his ability. Why? Because it brings healing. You have to grieve and go through the process in order to find health. Blessed are those who mourn, though. You see, grieving or mourning, I don't think that's what Jesus is. He's not saying, don't do that anymore because I just said this thing on the mountain. And no, Jesus says, Mary, I'm here. And in this moment, Jesus begins to mourn with Mary. He doesn't mourn for Mary. He joins her. He, has, he comes to her side and he mourns with her. And I share this with you. Because all the emotions of anger and sadness that we all experience when we have loss in our lives, whatever that may be, that any of us would feel in this type of situation, Jesus, it is welling up inside of him. You go, really? Yeah. It says when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, this is how he responds. A deep anger wells up within him and he was deeply troubled. He doesn't sound happy in this moment, does he? Not only that, he says to Mary, he says, where have you put him? He asked them, and they told him, Lord, come and see. And as he goes, then Jesus wept. There's a difference between crying and weeping. Weeping is burying your hands in your face and just going, I can't control my emotions. Jesus weeps, man. You see, when we hurt Jesus is there to hurt with us. When we weep, Jesus is so present in the midst of our pain that he will even weep with us. With us. And so God, going back now to the mountain where Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are mourned. He's not talking about mourning death. Then if he's not talking about mourning death, then what is Jesus talking about? What's, what are we mourning? Well, to understand actually what Jesus is actually saying, we first have to see what causes us to mourn. Wouldn't that make sense? You see, you have to kind of look at these two verses as together. They're like twins in some ways or cousins. It, because you have to start with the one before where Jesus says this. He said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So when Jesus says this word poor, he's not talking about having enough money, not having enough money to go to Chick-fil-A. Okay, although that can cause us to mourn. There's no question about that. Y'all are really serious tonight. Okay, cool. In this verse... Jesus isn't talking about not having enough money. Jesus is talking about you and me. He's talking about mankind. He's saying, blessed are you when you realize you are poor and realize your need for God, for the kingdom of heaven is yours. He's saying you have got to come to the realization that you are spiritually poor. You are spiritually bankrupt. When you understand that you are spiritually bankrupt... And you were born that way, you were born into poverty, spiritually speaking. He says, a door now has been opened to you. But we're not talking just like poor, I only have a little bit to get by. No, I'm talking about broke. Not just broke, but actually in debt. As a matter of fact, Jesus is saying that our spirits are in such debt. He's pointing this out, that there's no hope of paying off this debt. 
So understanding this, Jesus is saying you're blessed when your eyes get open to this fact. Because so many people don't see that fact. And realize your poverty and your need for him. Because it's in this epiphany, this realization, this moment in which God opens your eyes to see your poverty. It's when you're willing to admit this. All of a sudden the light comes through like the haze and the fog like in this room. And you begin to see clearly. You begin to realize, oh my gosh. Whoa, I am so poor. I didn't realize I owed a debt to God. It's one thing to be broke and independent, but it's another thing to be broke and actually owe someone a debt you could never pay back. I know what it's like to be poor. And as I was thinking about this, man, I remember when I first got married to Sarah. We've been married going on 23 years in December, December 16th. Thank you very much. We should celebrate that because marriage is not easy, but it's the biggest blessing ever. 23 years, man. But I remember when we first got married, we had this idea that as long as we loved each other, everything else would wor work out. It's kind of true. But unfortunately, the electric company doesn't buy to that philosophy, okay? So we got married. We didn't have jobs. We had just moved back to Texas from Nashville. And we're living in this little cabin on five acres out in the Texas Hill Country. And it sounds amazing, and it really was. But we had no money. So we started looking for jobs. We both got this telemarketing job working together at the same place. But it was like three weeks before we could get paid. So lit literally, we're like so broke. And to top it off, we're pregnant with David Jr., Okay, she's like two months pregnant at this point. So the dude singing up here, spoiler alert, he made it, you know, so we didn't starve to death. But, he, you know, we were just, we were pregnant early on, first trimester. And I'll never forget, I felt this responsibility as a man going, my gosh, I owe, I owe money to the electric company, the phone company. I got to put gas in the car. I got to feed my wife. What husband gets married to a woman, gets her pregnant, and then doesn't have the means to take care of her. And so I'm feeling this load, this burden on my back. And I just prayed with Sarah, and I was like, God... Please help us. Please, like, please help us make it to, like, three weeks from now. I don't know how we're going to even have gas to get to our new job. And I remember driving back, and the needle was on E. And we are driving back, and we lived, like, 45 minutes outside of the city. And it's dark out there, and I'm driving with my beautiful pregnant wife back to our home, knowing that literally we have no more money to get to work tomorrow. So we prayed, and it was like a little simple, desperate prayer, not fancy like you hear on the stage a lot of times. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just simply like, God, we're just in a bad situation without you. Can you please take care of us? So we pull up. It's about 1130 at night. We pull up. It's pitch black outside. And we inherited this dog named Skippy. And Skippy was like this little mutt, and she would always like... She was hyper, she was kind of annoying, and she always had stuff in her mouth that she would find. Like one time we came home, she had a pig nose. That was it, just a, a pig nose in her mouth. She's all, with a pig nose hanging out of her mouth. I'm like, you're disgusting. We inherited her when we inherited the house. So I'm like, whatever. Sometimes, one time she brought just a deer leg and this hoof is all like, just like, yeah, weird stuff. But we prayed. Everybody say we pray. Don't underestimate the power of a humble, simple prayer. So we pull up. My headlights hit Skippy. Sure enough, weirdo, she's running out of the woods. She has something in her mouth. I'm like, God only knows what she's got. So we get out of the car. We go to the front door. Sarah has the keys because i got to find out what's in her mouth. And I'm looking at it, and it's dark out there. But she, Sarah gets in. She turns on the, the, the porch light. And I'm like, Skippy, what is in your mouth? And it looked like this big, long sock or something, athletic sock, filthy, disgusting. And there looked like there's something in there. So I, like, try pulling it out of her mouth. She's like, you know, and I'm like, ah, give that to me. So I go inside. It was heavy. I go inside. I go to our little counter. 
Sarah's like, what does Skippy get now? I was like, I have no idea. But I put it on the counter, said, honey, grab, grab the scissors and the knife, open it up. 75 bucks was in that sock. You don't believe me, do you? Straight up. Like two people like, what? David said, what? My dog brought home money in a sock for me and my beautiful wife. Gets better. Sarah and I, we begin to dance. We begin, oh, isn't life wonderful? We have gas to make it to work tomorrow. You get excited about 75 bucks when you ain't got nothing, okay? When you're poor, a quarter is awesome, okay? We had all this change all over the counter. We don't know where she found it from, where it came from, but we knew who it came from. It didn't come from the dog. He dispatched the dog to bring us money. Being poor and then having God provide for you is amazing. But 75 bucks is awesome, but we still have three weeks till we get paid. So we stretched that 75 bucks. Probably didn't tithe on it, should have. And here's the thing. All right, y'all are real serious, I forgot. And so anyway, we're getting close. I'm like, Lord, thank you so much for sending Skippy, of all things, to provide. But God, we're broke and we need help. I would not lie in church, y'all. I swear, we drove home and that dog was standing on the front porch with another sock full of money. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Sarah and I were like, dude, and, but we never forgot it because number one, we knew how poor we were. But number two, God really loves meeting our needs, man. He really does. Now, maybe you don't need a dog to bring money to you tonight, although it would be nice. But man, I think sometimes you shortchange God. And don't believe that he can meet your needs. Or maybe you just want to tell him how to meet your needs. And you have to remember he's God. I never would have said, God, send a dog with money. I never would have thought of that, but he did. And Jesus is saying that when it comes to your soul, though, there's not enough dogs on the planet with bags of money that can pay off the debt that you owe to God. It's an eternal debt. It's a spiritual debt. This debt is eternal. Everybody say eternal. This is why Jesus brings to our attention so often about this word debt. He doesn't just use it. He's, he's making such a big deal about our debt. Jesus brings up our spiritual debt all the time. When he says, hey, this is how you should pray. He says, don't babble on like the, like the people who think they're all religious and spiritual. He says, no, keep it short and sweet. And Jesus said this. This is how you should pray. Our Father that is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And what does Jesus throw in the Lord's prayer? And forgive us our what? Debts. Why? Because if you owe a debt to God, you have no hope on your own of paying this thing off ever. So of all the things that Jesus could have put in there, and you know, Father, may, hallowed be your name. May we be sweet to one another. May we, no, no, no. He's saying, talk about the debt. The debt, you got to pray about this day because this is a big deal. This could be a deal breaker for you and is a deal breaker for us. Forgive us of our debts so that we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. So when Jesus says, are y'all, as Tim would say, are y'all tracking with me? Y'all tracking? This is like crazy stuff. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor and realize their need for God, what he's saying, it's the ones who are willing to admit that they're poor. The ones who can discover the path of experiencing and entering into the kingdom of God. But you first have to admit that you're poor and that you owe a debt that you can't pay. But people see this and they go, okay, no problem, man. I'll just be better. 
I'll just try harder. I will fix this situation. Now that I'm aware that I, I'm poor in spirit, now I know what to do about this. But if this is what you think, I'm letting you know tonight, God is not asking you to be religious. He's actually saying don't even bother trying. You can't do it. This is not a you can fix it situation. If you and I were sitting in the blessed and highly favored chairs at Starbucks talking about this, this is what I would say to you to explain this. What I would say is this. Because a lot of your friends believe this. And maybe you even believe this as well. But the person who thinks that trying to be good in order to fix their poverty, their spiritual poverty, is like someone taking an aspirin to cure terminal cancer. You can't do it. And it's a sad picture when people try. Right? So Jesus starts by saying, so if you admit that you're poor, you, the moment you realize that there should be, the moment you realize that you're poor and you need God, what Jesus is now following up as he sits on the side of this mountain with his disciples, he's saying, listen, now that you've realized that you're poor and you need God, the feeling that should hit your heart immediately after is sadness. You should begin to mourn sadness at how much we owe. Like imagine the size of your soul in contrast to the size of this tent. This is your debt and this is all you have to bring to it. It's like this dire, hopeless situation. Sadness is what she, we should be feeling. But what is the debt? The debt is sin. That's what we, we have sinned against God. We, we, there's, a, there's a cosmic justice. There's a, a godly kingdom justice that when I sin against you or you sin against me, someone has to pay. God is a God of justice. I have no interest in following a God that turns a blind eye to injustice. Do you? No. I cry out to God and say, God, bring justice to those who have suffered injustice. Do you follow what I'm saying? And so there is a debt. The truth is, though, your debt... It's just as terrible as your debt. It doesn't matter. Our debt, one penny owed, separates us from God for all of eternity. He can't hang out with people who owe this type of debt because they're criminals, they're lawbreakers, and God is holy and perfect. So Jesus is saying, this is kind of your situation. He's not being mean. He's pointing out the reality that if you're trying to pay off your debt by being good, by being sweet, you're not dropping the F-bomb, you don't, whatever, no, no, no. It's like taking an aspirin to cure terminal cancer. And this should make us begin to mourn and grieve. Why? Because the scripture says the wages of sin is death. So the mourning, what you're experiencing in this moment, the sadness that you should be feeling, that when you realize you don't have what it takes to earn God's love, to even get to God, and you see how much you owe and you have all of eternity and it's not enough, to pay it back, we should feel sad. We should mourn a death. Whose death are we mourning? Our own. We're spiritually dead. We have no capacity to even rise ourselves up to begin to address the debt. This is what Jesus is talking about. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn what? Mourn the debt. Mourn the sin. Mourn the death. The fact that we're dead because of sin. So when Jesus says, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted, Jesus is saying, now you got it. Congratulations. Your first step to discovering freedom from your debt is first admitting your poverty spiritually. 
That's it. Just admit it. You don't have to make excuses for it. You don't have to. Just admit it. And realizing that you don't have what it takes. And then he says, okay, now you're beginning to mourn. You're beginning to grieve that this is the state of your spirit. Unless something is intervening. And then he says, but I came to comfort you. If you mourn your sin, the outcome, if you do it right, the outcome will always be comfort, never condemnation. There's hope. Everybody say there's hope. You see, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. So I have given God my debt. I haven't tried to be anything other than just this filthy sinner that's walked into the presence of God, realized how poor I was, admitted my need, I've grieved over my sin, and I'm like, please pay my debt. He has. He's made me a new creation. I don't owe a debt to anybody or to God or to anyone. And if you trust in Jesus, you don't either. I have so much to say in such a little time, but here's the thing, man. Too many Christians still walk around like the old debt. When you grieve your sin and you are convicted, this is just the Holy Spirit saying, don't miss out on the blessings I have for you. That thing that you're doing, that person you're hanging out with, that th whatever, don't do that. Not because you're a bad person, but because I have better. It's just bad to better. And so we go, thank you for highlighting this. I didn't know this or I didn't realize this. Thank you. We confess it. And then we lay back in the comfort of God. But you're doing it wrong as a Christian. If you confess, you confess, you confess. I'm terrible. I can't stop this thing. And you don't feel comfort but condemnation. You're not doing it right. You don't understand how Jesus really works, man. Jesus is not here to make us feel bad. But to highlight an issue... The great physician, so that we can keep walking and living debt-free. And you know, if you're truly understanding this, is when the Holy Spirit highlights that sin, that issue, that word, that the way that you interacted with your parents, whatever it may be. And you go, oh, this is for my good. Not to highlight my bad. So Jesus is not here to beat you up. He's here to lift you up. But we can't turn a blind eye to a disease. We have to understand that we have this debt, we have this disease. But let's be honest. In our culture and in our world, what Jesus is saying sounds absolutely crazy to our culture. Right? Like think about this. Why? Because we have all grown up in this world where it says if you have shame, you have regret, you have sins, the only hope to fix these things is to try to discover a better version of yourself or craft a more appealing version of our real selves. Is that not right? And so the world says, man, listen, no doubt. We understand. We, we all live on this rock. And we hate, we hate the fact of what it is because people hurt people, prejudice, judgment, all the rest of these things. Does it take a Christian to realize this? We're all saying these things. Hate, bigotry, uh, all of these types of things. Terrible, terrible things. And we look at it we go, this world is jacked up. But the thing is, is that we, we don't mind pointing the finger, but then we, the darker moments, quieter moments of our lives, we start looking at ourselves and we go, man, I feel bad that I talked about that person that way. Or, man, I'm, I used that person. I manipulated that person. I, I've looked at this. I've done this. I drank that. I smoked that. Whatever it is. And so the world says, okay, when you start freaking out and you start mourning, you start mourning, we're going to put a different name for it because 
We don't want to call it mourning your sin because, dude, then no, there's no such thing as sin. You make your own rules. But, you know, you got that angst inside. You don't know what to do with it, right? The world says, listen, we mourn over the fact, and I'm using Christian language here, that the world is broken. And we all deep down inside have this thing within us that just doesn't feel right. You're feeling the debt you owe. All of mankind feels this. And so we mourn the fact that we have this debt. But the world says it is what it is. So here's what the world will tell us and tell you. And some of you are hearing this tonight. The world says if you feel bad for what you've done, and you don't like how you feel, and you don't like the person that you see in the mirror because you see so many things that are wrong, here are some options for you. And so this is what the world will say. The world will say, listen, you've got this big bag of debt that you owe, like this big sack of rocks. And you pick it up every morning. You have no choice. And it's on your back. And you carry this thing. You're like, this sucks. I don't like it. I don't like my life. I wish I didn't, wasn't in this situation. Why is my life so bad and terrible, right? Because of the effects of sin. Sinning against one another. Hurting one another, right? So the world says, listen, it's not an awesome option. But you can bury it. So what we do is we, we take this big sack and what we try to do is we try to put it under a rug. And we try to bury it. And we go, okay, all right, that felt kind of good. If I could just forget it and move on. But don't you know that things get dug up? Don't you know that socks of money that have been buried in the ground forever, some dumb dog's going to dig it up and pull it out? Don't you know that that bag, that burden, that debt is only, there's, a, there's such a thing as called a debt collector. They know where to find you. You could change addresses. You could change your name. They're going to find you because why you owe something. That's kind of what happens when we bury it. But then the world says, okay, we know that that's kind of an old school way, but why don't you just medicate it? So what we do is we take this big bag of the sense of debt, the sadness, this feeling. Sometimes we call it depression or whatever it may be. And we look at it and we go, okay, i got to medicate this thing. So we're told, soothe your burden. Medicate it with money. Medicate it with status, medicate it with alcohol, weed, porn, video games, whatever it takes to escape. But don't you know even the best medication after a while wears off? So what happens is, is if we try to medicate this feeling within us, this mourning, this sense of loss within us that we can't even identify or give a name to, we go, man, I'm medicating this thing, but it's wearing off. So what happens is we have to keep putting more medication And what happens is, unfortunately, the irony is the very thing that's supposed to make us feel better, we become slaves too. And all of a sudden, medicating it, we learn doesn't work. Okay, all right, so maybe you've tried that, but then you go, okay. The world says, dude, if that doesn't work, you need to start faking it. You need to act like you have your stuff together and there is nothing wrong with you. And you need to keep telling yourself this lie until you begin to believe it. And so we begin to fake it. This is where the masks come on. And we go, my life is freaking awesome. I love my life. Everything is great about my life. We see our spiritual poverty. And we try to mask this thing through finding status, popularity, through our academics, through the houses we buy, the cars that we drive, the people that we date and marry, the positions that we hold. But if it worked, guys, and man, I'm not knocking anybody in here, but hear me out. Follow this. If this really worked out, then why do people who seem to have it all wind up saying, it's not enough? Why? Because the world says if you have all these things, it's enough. This is why those who seem to have the world by the tail still struggle with hopelessness, anxiety, 
some of the richest people, most beautiful people, the most celebrated people, gifted people, they end their lives. But the world says, you, this is what you need, man. So the world goes, okay, we're not saying these are great options. But you got to get through this life and figure this stuff out. So, so here's another, here's a last ditch effort. The world gives us a ladder. And the world says, okay, here's what you got to do. Throw that big old burden on your back. And with every step that you take on that ladder, if you replace a good work or replace a bad work for a good work, Maybe you can pay off a little bit of this debt and hope that when you get to the top of this ladder, whatever cosmic force, whatever source of the universe, God, whatever it is that they call it or we call it, maybe when you get up there you can make a decent case saying, hey, listen, man, I wasn't perfect, but it, I was like 51% legit and 49% loser. And maybe bargain with this universe and go, hey, maybe, maybe this can work out in my favor. And I'm not knocking that belief system because if I didn't know Jesus, I would be doing the exact same thing. I would try to be a good person because that's all I've got. But that's like taking an aspirin to cure terminal cancer. That ladder is not high enough. And what people find is when they get to the top of it, there's just more. It's like doing the incline, but it never ends. You all know what I'm talking about, too, if you've done it. Mm. The best the world can offer, man is to give you some advice in how to fix inner issues with outward things. If these are our only options, and at the end of it all, if all we find is nothing but dead ends, man, no matter which way the world tells us to go, we still hitting, keep hitting a brick wall, where can we have any hope at all? If there's something on the other side of our last breath, and it's actually true that we owe a debt that we can never pay in this lifetime or the lifetime to come? What if there really is something on the other side? You spend all of eternity saddled with this debt. But Jesus, everybody say, but Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't come and just drop a bunch of do's and don'ts for mankind, bail out and wish you the best. You see, if you think that Jesus only came to make sure that you didn't have sex before you were married or, or was, that was like the most important thing to him and that you voted Republican or whatever it may be, let me tell you something. You don't know Jesus. If you think that Jesus only cares about good people or the idea that you have to have it all together in order for him to even like you, you don't really know Jesus. You really don't know him. I say that because Jesus came for the poor. Jesus came for those who are poor, y'all. Jesus came for those who cry themselves to sleep at night, who are in the prisons of depression with no hope of trying to get out. Jesus came for those who are living in homes where the standard of expectation is perfection. Perfect teeth, perfect grades, perfect manners. If you don't measure up, you're a disappointment to your family. And we think God's the same way. Jesus came for those who are captives to the systems that this world has set up that you and I both know do not work. The spirit of Jesus is in this room to bring liberation, to bring hope, not only to you, but those who hear this message tonight, to those in your life who have no idea that they owe a debt. Those in this life who have no idea that there's a way to have this thing paid off so that they can walk in liberation and freedom. You see, the truth is, 
700 years before Jesus was walking this earth at all, there was this prophet named Isaiah. Everybody say Isaiah. Isaiah was a spokesperson for God. And by the Holy Spirit resting on Isaiah, he wrote this out. And this was 700 years before Jesus showed up. He says, when Jesus shows up, this is what he's going to say. But not only this isn't what he's going to just say, this is what he's going to do. This is why I opened with Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the who? Okay, I need those verses up there. Thank you. All right, we're going to go through a lot of them, so here we go. I'm going to reiterate this again because it's kind of the whole crux of the message right here. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the the poor, those in debt, you and me. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. The one that has put you in this position, the abusers in your life, the accuser in your life, Satan himself, the forces of evil, God is going to reconcile and handle that. He understands where you're at and that you don't have the strength to overcome this thing. He's come for you. To all who mourn in Israel, he wants to exchange a crown of beauty for the ashes that you have. A joyous blessing instead of Instead of, where are we at, where are we at? Are we on the right verse? Nope. Okay. we got to be quick with the click. All right, here we go. To mourn in Israel, to give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. It is in their righteousness they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for their own glory. Nikki, if you wouldn't mind, please make sure that we're on time with those slides. So... Fast forward almost a thousand years, 700 years, all of a sudden, all these people, all they've known up to this point is ladder climbing, faking it, burying it, medicating it. They're trying to figure out what it means to know God and get to him, but they realize that their efforts are futile. But then Jesus shows up and goes to church one day. And he's in his hometown called Nazareth, and he's in this town. And guess what happens? Jesus walks in, and the people go, oh, that's Jesus. Here, grab this scroll. Here, read something. Jesus opens up the scroll, true story, and begins to read. Guess what he began to read? The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. And he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. And this is what Jesus says. Oh, my gosh. He's opening it up, and he's reading it. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that blind people will see and those who are oppressed will be set free. Of all the things that Jesus could have read to these people, he read this. And in this moment, you can sense how it's silent in there, like this. And it says in Scripture, it says, That he finishes up by saying, and that time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll. He sat it down in his dead silence. And look at what scripture says. It says, all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. They're all. What do you say? Because they're, they're beginning to realize, Isaiah, Jesus, he's here. He read, what? 
Guys, DSM, Jesus is saying in this moment to the poor and to the brokenhearted and to the captive in the prisons of addiction, the prisoners stuck behind the bars of their circumstances, to those who are mourning tonight, to those where all they have is the ashes of their past, are about to have a path that is opened up to them to bring freedom and healing to you and to me. And it's in these words, as the words of Jesus echoed off the walls in there. Jesus breaks the silence and he began to speak to them. And it says, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. He's like, there's hope for the debt. Everybody say there's hope for the debt. He didn't come here to say, sucks to be you to be poor. I'm out of here. No, he came to do something about it. And I want to let you know tonight, students, as we close up here. Today is the day that your debt can be cleared. But how? How how is our debt paid, Dave? Like, what do I do? What do I need to do? Do I need to sing louder in here? Do I need to join DSM? No, no, no. If we're poor, how does our status change? Well, you see, Jesus himself, catch this. After he read this, not very long after this, you know what he did? He went to the cross. And you go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You see, he came to the cross to pay a debt. But he wasn't dragging a big bag full of money. All that he had and all he needed to give was something far more valuable than money, life's blood. And he said, the only way that your debt can be paid is if I pay with my blood. He cares about your debt and he wants to take it away tonight. He became poor so that we could become rich. Not only did he do that, not only did he read the prophet Isaiah, but look at what 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, please put it up. It says this. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. So that by his poverty, he can make you and I rich. So not only does he pay off our debt, he doesn't just put us at zero again and say, all right, I've done a good job. No, he says, not only am I going to pay off your debt, I'm going to give you limitless riches I'm going to give you the kingdom of God. I'm going to make you a co-heir with me. Everything that Jesus has, you have. Did you know that? God is here. God is right now in this room. And some of you are beginning to experience a comfort that you didn't know you could experience. And you can't even articulate it. You're like, man, what is, what is going on here? I, this is what I'm telling you. Is that the comforter has come. And he's using this hyper guy with a white ball cap to bring good news to the poor in this room. You could be forgiven. You could be debt free. Jesus says, man, listen. Are you weary in Matthew eleven twenty eight? Are you weary? Are you carrying a heavy burden? Then Jesus is calling out to each and every one of us in here who feels like this. And he says, then come to me. I will refresh your life. I am your oasis. He's like, simply join your life with mine and learn my ways and you'll discover that I'm gentle, I'm humble, I'm easy to please. He says, you will find refreshment and rest in me. For all that I require of you will be pleasant and easy to bear. But Jesus can't take away a burden that you don't admit you have. Blessed are the poor in spirit and realize their need for God. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn the fact that sin has put them in this position. I'm here to tell the person in this room, man, 
The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. You see, the truth is the sacrifices of God are not for you to become more of a better-looking Christian. The sacrifices of God are this, a broken spirit. That's where you start. And a broken and contrite heart, oh God, he will not despise that. Turn off the lights in here, band come up. Good news? DSM? Good news? But here's the deal. I see Christian students do this. This is the hard part of the sermon for me to say. Because it's one thing to admit that you're poor. It's one thing to mourn over your sin. But guys, here's what I see so often with students who claim to follow Jesus. They have no problem admitting their guilt. They, have, they may even mourn their sin. That may be you. Good for you. But many of them do not turn away from their sin. They don't repent. And you go, oh, that's a churchy word. No. Repent means simply change your direction. Why would you willingly become poor again when you have the riches of the kingdom? You don't change your direction, which is why you continually find yourself in the position that you're in. You feel poor tonight, and yet you bear the name of Christ. That doesn't sound right. Repent means to change your direction. I see too many students, their feet continue to follow the paths of poverty instead of the paths of the kingdom that God has given them. What a waste to be forgiven. But beyond that, in Jesus' name, hear this. I see too many students who claim to follow Jesus, but not only do they tolerate and excuse sin, but they celebrate it. They celebrate indebtedness. When they see their friends that they're trying to impress who are loaded with this debt with no hope. And you hold the hope. And you celebrate the fact that they're putting more debt in their account. Keep having sex with those girls and boys. Yes. Keep sending those pictures to those people that are in a pro- Yes. Keep trying to represent yourself as something other than Jesus so that they don't judge you. Yes. Because God forbid they have their debt forgiven. How selfish are you? How ungrateful you are for what God has done. If you not only excuse it, explain it away, and you say sin is even awesome, and you try to align yourself with those who are dead in prison. Do you even know Jesus if this is you? These types of people aren't willing to grieve over what makes us feel poor. And we chase the world's benefits, man, but we still want the blessings of God. And I think too many of us, we want God to take away the symptoms of our sickness, but we don't want him to heal our disease. The Bible says that if this is you, Scripture says this, as someone who claims to follow Jesus, who claims to have their debt forgiven, what God says about people who do this continually, habitually, you're running the risk of actually becoming more blind than someone who has never seen the truth of Jesus before. How dark is that darkness if we don't repent? So good, yes, admit that you need Jesus. Admit that you're poor. Mourn your sin. But guys, the life is in repenting because it's a new way of living. It's a new path. Tonight, in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, mourn your sin tonight. Grieve over the death that is in you so that Jesus can come to the heart that admits that they need him so that they can be comforted, freed, liberated, so that you can walk in freedom no longer captive.
no longer owing a thing to anybody except love. Stand to your feet. James says, come close to God, and God will come close to you. Nobody get up, nobody leave, please. Hang tight. No, 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 no. This is the moment. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty. It's divided between God and this world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter. Let there, in this room tonight, let there be gloom. Let it feel like a funeral. It's cool. Instead of joy, humble yourselves before the Lord. And if you do this and repent, he will lift you up. So God's not here to beat you up. He's just simply here to say, my son paid a high price to pay your debt. Don't you dare take advantage of the blood of Christ. Scripture says that if you cover up your sin, you're never going to do well. But if you confess your sins and forsake them, you will be kissed by mercy. Acts 3 says, but in spite of what you've done, God has fulfilled what he foretold to the prophets long ago about the sufferings of the anointed one. And now you must repent and turn back to God so that your sins will be removed, so that times of refreshing will stream from the Lord's presence. So what I'm going to ask you tonight is we just bow your heads, close your eyes as we wrap up. And maybe you're like, dude, I did not, I had no clue. This is why Jesus came to do what he did. Maybe you've even been raised in church never heard it this way. I don't know. But tonight is your night to have your debt paid. Forgiven. New life. And it's as simple as admitting your need for Jesus. That's what he says. So if that's the case, are you willing to admit your need for Jesus tonight and exchange your poverty for the riches of God, the forgiveness of God, the new life of God? If you want that, pray with me right now. Do Jesus. I realize that I owe a debt. I can't pay it off. I'm going to stop trying to be good. Turn my righteousness. So Jesus, I mourn over my sin right now. I've sinned against you, God. I've sinned against people. So I admit my need for you, Jesus. I want to exchange my sin. I want to exchange my debt for the forgiveness in the life of Jesus. I believe that you paid for my sins. I believe that you died and rose again. And I will commit to following you the rest of my life.